Good morning, everybody. So let's see. I'm going to put up a photo. See if you know who this person is. Who can tell me? Alice Cooper. Oh, good job. I think we've got another one of him in his uh, band. So if you don't know who that is, that's Alice Cooper, the famous rock legend who really made his name because he was one of the first to really do the horror and comedy in his uh, music. And uh, he's probably most well known for songs like Poison or Billion Dollar Baby or School's Out, maybe some of those that you might have remember hearing. Well, uh, he tells his story about how he was severely addicted to cocaine and to alcohol. And it came a point one day where his wife said to him, that's it, I'm leaving you. And he really believed marriage was, you know, till you die. So he, that really shook him to the core, even though he said that cocaine was speaking louder than she was. He said one morning he looked in the mirror and he thought he saw blood running down his face, like where his makeup usually was. And he wasn't sure if he was hallucinating or not, but he called his wife and he said, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to stop this. I, I'm going to stop this. Because he says, uh, I was drinking with Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix and trying to keep up with Keith Moon. And they all died at 27. So he uh, told his wife, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this up. I'm, I'm going to stop. And she put some requirements down. And one of them was that they go to church. So we'll play the video for me. This just two minutes. I'm going to have the lights down. And there was a pastor there, Jackson who was a hell's fire pastor. And he, there's 6,000 people, and he was talking to me. Because I was a prodigal son. Remember, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. My granddad was a, uh, an evangelist. And when the, when the band happened, it took me as far away as you could possibly. I was a poster boy for everything wrong. And then when I got sober and everything, came back to the church, realizing that's where I belonged, there. So we started going to... and. You know, a lot of people say, you know, I, I came to Christ because my love of Jesus. I came to Christ because of my fear of God. Wow. I totally understood that hell was not getting high with Jim Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> hell was going to be the worst place ever. In fear, I came back to the Lord. But I went to another church, and that pastor preached the love of Christ, yeah. which now you put the two together, yeah. and it was exactly right. Yes. Well, you know, the Bible even says some saved by fear, you know, and th there's a point where some people, they need the hell scared out of them. I'm telling you, I, I, was, I had, because I knew if I died and I knew, in other words, I knew who Christ was, Jesus Christ was, and I was denying him yeah. because I was living my own life and I was living my life without him. I knew that there had to either come a point where I either accepted Christ and started living that life, or if I died in this, yeah. I was in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And that's what really motivated me. What does that mean when you say accepted Christ? What does it mean to accept Christ? Well, you know, I don't think we accept Christ. I think we accept the fact that he accepted us, yeah, sure. you know. Yeah. Um, and I just got to a point of saying, I'm tired of this life. Yeah. And I know that this is right. When people say, well, how do you know that? Put that into words. And I go, you can't put that into words. Yeah. It's because God opens your eyes and he says, you know, and it's supernatural. That's right. And you try to tell that to people, and they go, well, yeah, but so is voodoo, and so is this. And they go, no, you don't understand. And I could never explain it to you. But when, when the Lord opens your eyes, and you suddenly realize who you are and who he is, yes. oh, it's a whole different world. Yeah. You know? And right then, 
you know, I, I, I uh, was baptized. <laughs> he goes on to say that he never went to AA. He said, everyone said, oh, you have such great willpower. And he said, no, God has great willpower. He took it from me. My, and he goes on to say that his, parent, his dad was a pastor and that he, he had strong prayers being prayed for him. So don't stop praying. And uh, he said he went to the doctor and the doctor said, this is an absolute miracle. And he said, why? And he said, because you should be hiding bottles and drugs all over the house. You, be, you should be trying to sneak stuff all over the house for the years of damage you did. And he said, I have absolutely no desire at all because God took it from him. Isn't that, a, isn't that an awesome story? And uh, I know, isn't that, yeah, for, for uh, praying parents, right? They kept praying. And then a woman who said, we will go to church. This is my boundary. We will go to church, you know, and God spoke to him. And he still does. He's <clears throat> Alice Cooper because he said God put, him in a, God put him right in the smack in the middle of the darkness. And he preaches Jesus still to this day. And he's been saved since like 19, I believe 1990. But I just thought uh, it's such an amazing story. And I know you're probably wondering what that has to do with my sermon. Nothing. So I, I, just, I just like the story. But... Um, I'm kidding, it does tie in. Uh, I'm going to continue today in the theme of, of, of what I, uh, I preached on a few weeks ago, and that is what, is, what did Jesus tell us to do? Jesus gave us the invitation to come and follow him. When he left, he said, like, come and follow me. He said, come and be my disciple, or I use a more modern-day word for that, and is be my apprentice. So what does it look like to be an apprentice of Jesus? I gave three um, steps last time. Um, that is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. Sounds pretty simple, right? But one thing about the Christian walk with the Lord, although there are some simple steps you know, it's like peeling an onion. It gets, you know, just when you think, oh, I've, I've got a handle on this, then God's like, let's peel a few more layers. And you're like, I don't know anything. So, uh, you know, this is, this is not all there is to walking with the Lord, okay? But this is just some, some steps to help us. What does it look like to be an apprentice of Jesus? So today I'm going to build on this and just go a little bit deeper with some thought. So we know when Jesus left, he gave us the Holy Spirit. So if you give your life to the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes. He does the work inside of your heart. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to lead us, to guide us, to instruct us. But also, He's the one who does the work inside of us to become the image of Jesus. He is molding us into the image of Jesus. All right? But what is our part in this? Because we have a part, right? We don't just sit back on the couch and tomorrow we wake up more like Jesus. I wish that was the case. No. So <clears throat> what is our part? Well, I think one of the primary goals of apprenticeship is to Jesus is really learning to live in that constant state of awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit. This is, imagine if Jesus was with you every single day, everywhere you went, and you just ignored him. You didn't talk to him, you didn't look at him, you didn't think about him. You know, it'd be kind of lonely and almost pointless, right? Well, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. You just can't see him, but that's how he's with you all the time. So let's look at John chapter 15 and let's see. Jesus is going to use a metaphor to help us understand 
what it means to live in this new reality. What does it look like to live with the Holy Spirit with you all the time? So John chapter 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What are you noticing here? There's a lot of that word remain. The word remain translated from the Greek can also mean abide. So maybe some of your, your Bibles say the word abide or remain. Notice again like how often it's used in this text. When you see repetition like this in Scripture, it's used for importance. Okay, It means pay attention to what it's saying. Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Thanks, Jesus. Uh, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me, here we go again, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Notice Jesus uses the word abide or remain ten times in the short teaching. Are we getting it? He's driving the point home. Get in the Father's presence and stay there. Don't move away from the Father's presence. Now, I don't mean go and be a nun and hide out in a monastery all day. That's actually not the example we see set by Jesus at all. I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, be in two places at once. Do your emails and be in God's presence. Be running after your two-year-old child and in the Father's presence. Being aware of the fact that the Holy Spirit is with you all the time. Again, how would your mood change or your attitude or what words come out of your mouth, if you were conscious of the fact that God is with you, everything you're doing, everywhere you're going, every moment that you're in. He also says this, if you look at the scripture, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. What he's talking about is in our simplicity, if you did your devotions that morning, you read a scripture, uh, maybe you read a scripture, you know, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. And then the peace of God that passes all understanding will transcend your mind and heart. So now you're going about your day, you're running off to that same two-year-old and you're like, thank you, Lord, that I don't have to be anxious about anything. You know, you're just thinking about that scripture or you're busy at work and you stop to take a phone call and you put that phone call down and it was not a phone call you wanted to hear and you just remember those words in you. You just, you're rethinking about those words that you read this morning. So what you're doing is you're allowing that Logos word to remain in you, become life inside of you. So you're, you're in two places at once. You're aware of God's presence and his words are remaining in you and they're bringing life to you. 
Uh, Dallas Willard, who passed away, if you read any of Dallas Willard's books, I, one of the first books I ever read from him, Hearing God, when I was like in my 20s, I loved it. He's a Christian philosopher, preacher, speaker, but written many books, and also um, spoke a lot on Christian spiritual formation. In, in this book, The, the Great Omission, he, he writes this quote, and I'm just going to put it up because it's just so profound. I love it. He says this, the first and most basic thing we can and there we go the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep god before our minds this is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls our part in this practicing the presence of god that's what he calls it practicing the presence of god is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him in the early times, basically in the beginning of your time when you're practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. What he's saying here is he's saying, listen, you're going to get distracted. We got, we've got phones. We're so used to on and off the phones. You know, we've got the list to do. So you're trying to sit down. You're trying to read your Bible. You're trying to pray and your mind's going a million places and you keep getting up and you're distracted or you keep thinking about what that person said. Rabbit. You know, that's what he's talking about. So, but these are habits, he says. These are habits, not the law of gravity, and they can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls he will become the pole star of our inward beings he's saying it's a lifelong practice of intentionality intentionally thinking about the lord making the time to wonder to ponder on him so these are habits that we need to form in our daily life right he's saying it's a habit you can make looking for jesus a habit he says, you know, as we covered in the last message when I talked about your personal alone time with Jesus, solitude with Jesus, devotional time, reading the Bible, whether you listen to a sermon on, during the week, whatever it is, church community, all these things are important. Because as we do this, we're spending time with the Lord and we're allowing our minds to be transformed to the way God thinks and we allow His Spirit to work in us. And when we're doing all these things, what should we expect in our lives? Well, let's see what Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 22. What Paul is saying is, let's look at how our lives should be if you're not living in the flesh, but you're living from the Spirit. Let's look. Galatians 5 verse 22, and he says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. We all love this scripture, right? I think for a long time when I read this scripture, I thought it was telling me that I need to try to be more loving. I need to try to be more joyful. This week, I'm going to really try and be more patient. And that's why God put traffic on the road to help me this week with my patience. But I've come to realize that Paul is not actually giving us a list to live up to out of our own willpower, but rather 
what it should look like when we've been transformed from our heart outwardly what we will be like. So, because honestly, guys, think about it. <laughs> and if you've tried any of these, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you could raise your hand and be like, I've tried this list, people, you know? But you know what? You can't grit your teeth and try to be more loving. I'm going to really try and be more loving this week. Now, let me, you can fake it, you know? You can fake it. And, and, and listen, I, there's not, I'm not speaking against trying because thank you so much for trying to be more loving. I appreciate it when you try to be more loving to me instead of being mean or terrible. So I do appreciate the trying, but the only problem with willpower is it runs out by two o'clock in the afternoon, okay? Then you're like, hmm, what now? You know, it's the same thing. It's like you can act more loving, but you can't be more loving, so you can try, like you're like, oh, joy, joy sounds good. I'm going to have a good attitude. I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to have, uh, you know, Jesus, this is your day. I'm so excited. I'm going to be so happy today. And two o'clock rolls around and everything has gone wrong. And then there goes your joy. Because you can't, you can act more joyful, but you can't be more joyful out of your own willpower. The only way to be more joyful is to actually be in the spirit Connected to the vine, remaining close to Jesus is the only way we see it's possible. He uses a great example in there. The metaphor he uses is like, you know, uh, the fruit growing off a vine. You know, if you think about it like an apple tree. How does an apple tree make produce a really, really good apple? You don't see an apple tree just trying really hard to get on a good juicy apple. You know, when was the last time you saw a stressed out apple tree? You know, like, oh, my gosh, it's coming, you know. No, <laughs> no, you just don't. They actually look pretty chill, you know, because the apple is just a natural product. It's a natural fruit coming off because it's connected to the vine. The branch is connected to the vine. It's getting the water, getting everything. It's just connected. That's the natural thing. The fruit is the natural byproduct of being connected to the vine, staying in the vine. And I know it's like it's silly, but it's really the same for us. We need to stay connected to the Lord. We need to stay connected to the vine as closely as we can to Jesus if we want to see this. You're not going to get Galatians 5 out of your own effort. It's only going to come from being closely remaining with Jesus, and that will be the byproduct of it. But, you know, I believe this is only half of the picture. If you could draw a pie and be like, okay, this is, this is discipleship. I believe this is like only half of the picture, okay? So just go with me for a moment. Allow me to switch gears for a minute to what I call the missing piece of discipleship. What I've spent probably most of my time thinking about when it comes to discipling people over the years that I've done that, or even what maybe perplexes me with the Western church, let's just put it out there to the whole United States, you know, nobody in here, okay, nobody in this church. What perplexes me about what I see with even Christians that are so desperately wanting to be good Christians is I don't see a lot of people turning into Jesus, now, I don't mean in the flesh. I mean, this is, what God, this is what God called us to do. This is what Jesus told us that we need to do. This is what we're supposed to do. But I don't see it happening. I don't see people 
truly becoming more loving, gentle, kind, faithful, to the point where their hearts are wrecked for the lost and they just can't help but want to share what Jesus has done in them because how awesome Jesus is and how amazing he is. And, the, and, and this true turning into an apprentice. Now, again, I know many of you are here that are, okay? But you must understand this is what I'm seeing outside of this church because our church... You're all, you're all doing good, okay? But outside of this, this is what I see, the struggle. And you know, honestly, and maybe for some of you, you're like, hey, that's me. I actually feel like I try really hard, but I'm not becoming. Why is that, you know? I think some people actually really in their heart of hearts want to be like Jesus, but wonder, why doesn't it happen? I've been doing this for so long. I don't see the change that I want. Of course, then there's a large majority of Christians that I see that are just adding Jesus to their life. Ooh, heaven. That sounds like a good thing. I'll take some of that. Oh, he gives healing out. I'll, I'll, I need, I'll take some healing. Oh, there's prosperity. Yep, I'll take some of that. And they just add Jesus to their life. The problem comes, though, when they don't get that healing or the job or the husband or whatever they've been wanting for, and then Jesus gets put to the back burner. Oh, well, that didn't really help me. And then you also have people that come to church every Sunday as routine. Like, this is what we do. I, I go to church every Sunday because this is what you do on Sundays. Because if I go to church every Sunday and I behave really well, there's a really great retirement package for me when I die. And what they've done is they made heaven the goal. So I think there's so many Christians living far below what God actually intended for us. Because God never meant heaven to be the goal of getting saved. Because what you see all throughout scripture from the beginning in Genesis is God came to walk with them in the garden. He wanted to dwell with them. You see, when he, talks to, when he talks to Moses and he says for the first time, build me a sanctuary because I want to dwell with my people. His heart is to have a relationship. His heart is to have family. He wants a family. He wants somebody to communicate with. He wants to know them. He doesn't want people who act like him. He wants people who become him. Yeah. He doesn't want people, as I said, he doesn't want people either who behave like him. He wants people who become him. And see, discipleship is not behavior modification. Change that. Oh, that person, look, they've stopped drinking. They've stopped cursing. They've stopped sleeping with their partner. They are definitely doing, they're a great Christian. Look at them. They're doing so well. Now, of course, those things are, are great, but that is not the end goal. Behavior is not the end goal. Now, you might think, oh, she's contradicting herself. Didn't she just say we're supposed to make these changes and put these practices in? Yes, but that is behavior modification is a tool to the end. Don't make it the end result. Don't look at somebody and be like, well, they've made these changes. They're, they must be good. They must be a great Christian. Their heart could be the furthest away from God. I'd rather have somebody who's, who's dealing with something still in their life, but yet their heart is just so humble before God and just crying out for God because that's what, we, that's what matters. See, you can have a parrot. 
You can have a parrot that, that talks like you, that mimics you, that imitates you, right? But that parrot can never become you. God is not looking for people who will act like him, who will behave like him. God is looking for people who will become him. He doesn't want people to get to heaven and be like, look, I know exactly what to say and do and be. And yet he, they don't, they heart, they're not like him. I'm going to quote another one from Dallas Willard today. He said this, the most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become. That's what you will take into eternity. Many churches, many, many churches teach, read your Bible, pray, belong to a church community. But I don't see a lot of people becoming like Jesus. So what is the missing piece? I believe the missing piece in discipleship is in this word, beholding or encountering. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. This is Paul writing this. And he says, but we all, we all, notice the use, we all, with unveiled face, remember Moses' face was veiled, so now we don't have the veil, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm going to look at a different translation. Let's look at the NLT for me for a moment. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit, as we behold Him, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So what he's saying is as we gaze at his glory, as we, as we gaze at his glory, we are transformed into the very thing or person we are looking at. Look at Paul's own conversion. You know, uh, Paul's Hebrew name was Saul. And Saul... Was, uh, was a student under then, in those days, and, uh, they had rabbis, you know, we call them a teacher, they had rabbis, the, the great, one of the most well-known at the time, Gamaliel, was his rabbi and his teacher, and it said that he excelled over all other Bible students. He knew the text better than anybody else, and wait for it, he could quote the entire Old Testament from memory. Let's be honest, how many of you had five scriptures memorized? Let's be more honest. How many of you have one scripture memorized? He could read the whole New Testament from beginning. The whole New Testament memorized, people. What are we saying? He knew, he, he knew the knowledge. He had the knowledge of the scriptures. Yet he was persecuting the Christians. Then he's on the way to Damascus and Jesus shows up. And what does he say to Jesus? Who are you? All the knowledge he had, he didn't know Jesus. He didn't 
know him until he showed up, until he beheld him in his glory, in his majesty, in his love, in his beauty, he was wrecked and changed from the inside. So what you see here, Paul is busy trying to tell us, he's like, listen, I know what it's like to behold Jesus. I know what it means. This is my methodology for transformation. You want to know how to be transformed into the image of God? Look at his glory. And he, going back to the scripture, I love the language he uses here. He says, but we all, we all, that means corporate. That's another word, corporate, okay? Now listen, I understand. I've talked about it. There's a time for personal devotion. It's important. You need to have it. But it's clear throughout Scripture that there is a time, a corporate time, that God says is extremely important. And God honors it in a different way. I don't know how to explain it. I don't have the language for it. But he's saying that when we come together corporately, there's something different that happens. And as we behold corporately, we are changed from glory to glory. Think about it. You have God in you. I have God in me. Now when we get together, imagine little fires all getting together. It's a big, huge forest fire, right? At home, it's just a little fire to warm yourself in your little living room. Now imagine a forest fire together. I'm just trying to give you something so you can understand what it must look like in the spirit realm when we come together. And God says, I honor that in a special way. Then Paul goes on to say, he's using a story, if you read this story in context, he's using a story and contrasting it with what's happening, what happened with Moses on Mount Sinai. To give you a quick little story, Moses takes all the Israelites out of Egypt, remember, they get to Mount Sinai, and God is like, sweet, you're finally here, I'm going to come down and I'm going to talk to all of you, audibly. So everybody step back from the mountain, get yourselves ready, I'm going to come down. They wake up to thunder, lightning, the earth is shaking, the mountain is literally looks like it's on fire, a trumpet is sounding from heaven, and a voice speaks audibly from heaven. The Israelites, what do they say? They're like, okay, that scared us. Um, Moses, change of, change of plans. How about you go up and talk to him, and then tell us what he said and come back and tell us. Because uh, that scared us. We don't want any more of that. You know? And so what happens? Moses goes up the mountain. He's gone for 40 days because he's getting the Ten Commandments. Downstairs, the Israelites are like, dude, where's he gone? Like, it's 40 days. You know, it's been 40 days. They don't remember that God just parted the Red Sea for them a minute ago. It's been 40 days. But what have you done for me today, Jesus? You know, so what do they do? They get all the gold together. They make a golden calf. Right? Start worshiping the golden calf. Like, I just don't even get it. But you, you know, today I look at it and I see so many similarities to that. Because, I, you know, I see like people coming to church, Pastor, I hope you had a good quiet time with the Lord this week. Because I hope you've got something to tell me. What has God told you for me today? And that's okay because that is our job. We want to share with you what the Lord is saying. And that's okay. But we also want you to go home and gaze at the Lord yourself. Whatever we share, the revelation we bring should make you want to lean in to God more. It should make you want to desire God's presence more. It makes you want to show up and be like, God, what have you got? I just want to lean in. I just want to know you more. 
that desire in you, the word should, that's what it should do. It should provoke you to want to lean in on yourself, to desire, to hear that invitation come from the Lord and come. Because if you, if you don't respond to the revelation of God and lean in, you leave yourself vulnerable to idolatry. Because what happens is now you leave yourself vulnerable because you're not leaning in for God's voice personally. You leave yourself open to the voices that speak louder than God. Social media, your phone, your family, your friends, your culture. Those words become louder than the voice of God and it becomes idolatry in God's eyes. But what Paul is doing is he's contrasting one of the most dramatic Corporate beholdings in the Bible. Would you agree? God's audible voice, earth shaking, fire, trumpet, God speaking, a million of people heard it, pretty amazing. Would you say that's pretty amazing? Would you say, yes, I would have liked to be there? Yes, thank you very much, Jesus, put me there. What Paul is saying is what we have in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. God has come to reside inside of you. What he's trying to say is, look, I know that looked amazing, but what we have is far superior. Can you imagine that what you have is so far superior to God speaking audibly from a quaking mountain? That's what he's saying. He says the Holy Spirit in us allows us to gaze at the glory of God in a way they never could. How powerful. God wants us to gaze at his glory, but he wants us to encounter him corporately as well. There's a reason why we focus on worship here at The Promise like we do. There's a reason why we give the space we do in that worship time. It's not so you can come in halfway through a few songs late. It's so that you can encounter the Most High God, that you can step beyond the veil because there is no veil anymore into the Holy of Holies, gaze at His glory and His beauty and His majesty. And in turn, He says He's going to come seeking those who worship Him. Is he lying? Then he's come seeking you. If you've come to worship him. If you've come to say, God, change me. Whoosh, he's here. The almighty God, the creator of the universe, in all his glory, in all of his majesty, has come. Whoosh. And what happens is when you encounter him, oh, God, I've been through so much. I don't know how you can still love me. And he goes, whoosh. And you experience the love of God and you're wrecked. And what happens then? You become more loving. Because you've experienced the love of God. You come in and, God, I should never have done what I've done. And God comes with his mercy. And you're like, oh, God, your mercy. I become more merciful. You encounter his joy. God, I'm grieving. How could I possibly? Here comes his joy. I could have joy in this moment. I can be joyful. Because I encountered the most high God. I beheld him in his glory and he transformed me. Beholding God's glory in us. It's not trying harder. It's looking at him longer. I use this example 
Holy Spirit gave me real quick. If you had a father that, that you'd never met and you grew up without a dad and he lived on another continent and uh, it was very difficult to travel and he couldn't get to you, but he wrote you letters your whole life. And so you got these great letters and he, and he paid for some of your bills and he took care of you. Uh, and you got these lovely letters that he wrote to you and you understood, but you'd never experienced what it's like to have a, a father's love tangibly here. But you've got these great letters. Then one day he flies, he gets on a plane and he flies and he lands and he sees you and he runs up and he hugs you like a hug you've never experienced in your whole life. And he's crying and his tears are touching your face and he's kissing your face and he's like, I love you, I love you, I love you so much, I've loved you forever. And he's hugging and he's holding and he's crying on you and he's kissing your face. And for the first time your heart breaks because you feel the Father's love. You've encountered him. You understand what it means to have a Father's love. Those letters helped but you hadn't encountered him you didn't understand it now you're changed because you've experienced the love of the father this is what god wants for us yes doing the habits are important having a discipline is important you need to do those things, but you need to honor the time of encounter with God and beholding Him. I, and I'm not saying you have to just do it at church. I'm just using it as an example of one of the places where we allow that, because for some people it's hard for them to do it at home. So come to the prayer meeting early. Be here when it starts, because God, I need to be changed. I want to become like you, Jesus. I don't want to stay this half, whatever this life is, Christianity that I've been trying to do for 20 years. I want to encounter you. I want to become like you. I want to be more loving, kind, gentle, peaceful, patience. I want to be a witness for you everywhere I go. I want people to see the life and light of God in me. I want to be wrecked by you, God. So get here early and be, I'm ready, God, change me. I want to gaze into your glory and your majesty and your beauty, God. Transform me, God. That's what it means to become an apprentice of Jesus and to become like him. We do this through abiding in him. We do it through remaining in his presence daily. And then we do it through beholding him. And we let all he is impact us and change us. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. Just close your eyes for a moment. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Just tell him you love him. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're so good. You're so patient with us. You're so merciful towards us. Your grace is new every morning. God, your love your love, Lord, that overwhelms us. The patience that you've shown us in your life. God, you never gave up on us. You don't give up on us, Lord. But Lord, I know you want us to rise up. Rise up. Step in. Step into that glory. What a, what a privilege we have, God. Let us not forsake it. Let us not take it for granted, Lord. Let us honor you, Father, daily. If you're here and you've 
drifted from the Lord or maybe you've never made a commitment to serve Jesus and you're like, you know what, I, I want to start fresh. I need to do this. I haven't done this in my life. I want to know God like that. I want, to, I want him in my life. I want him to go with me and be with me and change me and walk with me. Then just raise your hand wherever you are and I'm going to pray for you. God's going to hear you. God's going to see it. And today starts a fresh journey with the Lord. If that's you, just slip your hand up in the air wherever you are and we'll pray with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I can have my ministry team come down front. I see your hand. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lord. If that's you and you've raised your hand, I'd like you to just come down front, meet with one of the the, the, the people that are going to pray with you and lead you in a prayer of salvation. Remember, it doesn't matter. Nobody's looking around. Everybody here, it's between you and the Lord. God's watching. Who cares what anybody else thinks? This is your moment. This is your moment. God is like, really? Are you going to step forward for me? Because I hung on the cross for you. So if that's you, you're like, I just need somebody to pray with me. Come down front. Thank you. Come down front. If you need prayer for anything else today, you want somebody to, to stand with you, believe with you, agree with you, you're going through something, and you just need that prayer, then as we dismiss the service, I'm going to have you come down front. Let this, let this message impact you. Go and listen to it again this week. Don't let, it, don't let the enemy steal it the minute you walk out those doors. Make a decision. I'm going to behold God like I've never before. I'm going to push in for encounters like never before. I'm going to be at that P3 meeting because I need God to change me. All right. If you need prayer for anything else, you come on down. Church, we love you. Thank you for coming out. Have a great week. And we'll see you next Sunday.